have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn with me to the letter of 1 Corinthians this morning. And we'll take up our study here of this letter with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. Imagine a factory where there on the conveyor belt, one after another, you see not just any old thing coming down the conveyor belt, but you begin seeing all of these things that you recognize. And as each of these go by, you see these little figurines. And these figurines are ones you, of course, recognize. They are your children. And then as you continue to watch, as these various things are going down this conveyor belt, you also see your favorite sports team is there as well. And then, as you continues, another is a clock. And not just any clock, but the clock that you use at home even daily. And then still, another, oddly enough, is a mirror. And not just a blank mirror, but a mirror with your own reflection in this mirror. And so one after another, it just kept going on down this conveyor belt and on it went. Yet as you kind of follow the conveyor belt, you see where all of this is coming from. And it's coming from something you know, shaped like a heart. And as you examine it, you see written above it there at the top your name. And now, of course, all of this is very confusing. And so rightly so, you ask the foreman of this factory, what in the world is this place? And what are all of these things doing here? And so he answers you, what do you mean? This is you. All of those things that you see there on the conveyor belt are your idols. Those are all the things that you love more than God. Now, as shocking as such a scenario might be, it was with good reason that one of the reformers, he rightly wrote and said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. Many of our struggles and our wrestlings come right there with sinful human hearts one and all of us born into this world at odds with God in rebellion and living in rebellion with God. Our creator, the world's creator, continually worshiping and serving created things rather than worshiping the one who created all things. And so this point is at the core of our passage this morning. It's the call, and a call, that is calling us away from our idolatry and to hearts and to lives that worship God aright. And so to see this, let's read here then, beginning with verse 14. So may the Lord bless the reading 
of his word this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one or for, of the one body. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now this chapter, and really the last few chapters... Maybe you would say the same. They have been quite different. And what I mean is, is they have been calling us away from this sort of couch cushion Christianity. And I think if you just think back over each one of these chapters, you see that again and again and again. In these chapters, they might have a foreign sound to them, like... We're in a different world. One, because we are looking at a world that was far detached from us. But even more, perhaps, it's different than the convenient kind of casual Christianity that we have known for so long in America. And right there is much of the root of why these come as so different from what we have known. And saying that is significant. It's significant not because we need to change, you know, or clip away these chapters of our Bibles, you know. But could it be that these don't need to change? And they don't. Not going to be Thomas Jefferson here, right? This morning, clipping away at our Bibles. But we need to change. And we need to consider our own hearts in these things. And so all of this is indicating just what sort of Christianity we are to have, that you are to have. And it's not to be some imaginary, you know, sort of Christianity, but the true one, the one that is rooted in Scripture itself. Not cultural Christianity, not this couch cushion Christianity, not this indifferent Christianity, not apathetic, lukewarm Christianity, but the cross of Christ in us, in our lives, we live for Christ and Christ alone Christianity. 
And so this includes the cross, a faith that is not on the outskirts of our thoughts and our desires and our lives, but is right at the core of everything we are. It's a in-our-bones sort of Christianity, sort of faith. And this is what Paul has been calling the Corinthians to. It's what he's been calling us to. It's what God has been calling us to, is this. Now, as strange as all of this may be to us, we're right to ask, as we've been looking at all these chapters, how do we get here to chapter 10? So starting back, so Remember, context, 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 right? It matters, and it matters significantly to our verses here. So how do we get here? Well, Paul, he started back in chapter 8 with his concern, with this kind of casual view the Corinthians had towards food offered to idols. And so maybe you remember that, or maybe you remember it in your own Bible reading, but there, and, and in chapter 9 also, Paul made clear That the main thing is Christ. And the main thing is the love of Christ. And the main thing is the gospel of Christ. And as we saw at the end of chapter 9, and it's running the race, not simply following our desires, you know, like you've seen probably those cartoons like donkeys, you know, with a carrot in front of them, kind of like that. We're not to follow our desires like that, but rather we're to run the race with our eyes fixed on the prize, Jesus Christ. And if your eyes are there, you will risk everything. You will die for the gospel. You will risk your life, your home, your car, your job, everything for Christ and for the gospel. Because it's worth it. And your prize is not here. Our prize is not here. And so we saw that. And so then, in our chapter here, he grounds us in Christ and the rock of Christ. If you remember verses 1 through 5, the rock of Christ. And that rather than following temptation, we're not to commit idolatry. We're not to commit sexual immorality. We're not to test Christ. We're not to grumble. And so all of that then, Paul has been working and carefully arguing that you would know and hear and have all that in your mind as we come to these verses. Which leads into this, into this point. This exhortation. An exhortation for idolaters. An exhortation for idolaters. And that's your first point in your notes there. An exhortation for idolaters. Now we begin with this humble realization. This is what we were and what we even now struggle with. Yet even as I say that, we aren't to look at this, like Paul's exhortations here, as though nothing has changed in us, right? And that's the part of Paul's point, is that something has changed in us. Something incredible, something amazing, something distinct, something only God can do. And that is that you are a new people. 
If you're in Christ, you are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. You are children of the living God with new hearts and hearts of flesh. And so the command then that we hear from the Lord is go and sin no more. Yet, as Paul's emphasizing that, highlighting that, underlining that, we also know that we still do struggle with these things, don't we? We still wrestle with sin. I still wrestle with myself. I still wrestle with idols. And all of us do, don't we? And the Corinthians, as we read this, and as we see Paul exhorting them, they're not alone here. We're right there alongside them in this struggle. Because you struggle with this. I struggle with this. And if we're not careful, we can be swept away by these. By idols and idolatry, especially in our day. You may think, oh, well, back then they had these little objects that they worshipped. Man, they were really struggling with idolatry then. Well, friends, wow, we are struggling with idolatry in our day. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But this is part of the reason that Paul gave the exhortation that we just saw last week. And if you just look up in your Bible there, chapter 10, verse 12 through 13, he wrote there, Therefore, mainly in view of idolatry, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And as we said last week, we say again, right? Apart from the grace of God, so go I also. Like none of us here can say, I don't have any temptations. Liar pants on fire, right? You can wear any mask you like, but you are lying. You can be swept away by this. I can. You know, I remember going to a wave pool as a kid for the first time. And maybe you've done this as well. And I didn't really know, you know, this wave pool, they create the waves for you. I didn't really know just how strong the waves could be. I mean, this is my first time going to a wave pool. And so as it was going, what happened? You know, there I was on the deep side of things, you know, hanging on for my dear life, you know, that get these handles on the side of the, the pool and I'm clinging on for dear life, you know, as these vigorous waves are going everywhere all around me. Well, thankfully, here I am. I did not lose my grip and the waves died down, right? But this is so often how temptation and idols get us. They can draw us away with them as we are there clinging to the only one that we can find hope in, and that is Christ. And we begin looking and filling the ways, and we think, well, I'm just going to let go, and you just get swept away with everything. 
But Christ is the only hope in our temptation and in everything. And so it is that we have here Paul's pastoral plea in verse 14. Paul's pastoral plea here, and he begins it as he has done before with those words, and we've heard these words before in 1 Corinthians, my beloved. And so as you see that, see that he is writing to those who are dear to him. Now, I can't speak for every pastor, but perhaps most would say that this is also true of them and of their preaching. We preach with vigor, with all our hearts, because you are dear to us. And this is my heart as I preach to you each Sunday, you are dear to me, laboring over the word that you may hear it and follow the Lord and cling to Christ. And so this is Paul's heart and pastoral plea to the Corinthians, to you, to me. And so it's with this heart that we have his specific plea here, and it's this. Run from idolatry. Run from idolatry. Or just specifically, verse 14, flee from idolatry. Now, don't underestimate the danger here, saints. I could say that ten times and it wouldn't be enough. And so this imagery that Paul's giving here, it's connected back to verses 12 through 13 about the temptation and all those things I just read. And it's this imagery of an army that's kind of caught in their corner, right? They're like in a corner, and there's only one way out. This vast army is coming, and they're going to waylay them. And so here they are. There's one way out, and what must they do? They have one moment, one brief opportunity. They must not wait. They must not delay. What must they do? Run and flee before they're overcome by this vast army that's getting ready to overrun them. This is the imagery Paul's using here. Flee. And so you and I are being warned here. As Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, it says there, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. And so this is not a far-off danger for us. And especially now, we are living in the midst of the ever-present danger of idolatry. We are living in the ever-present danger of idolatry. We might not be bowing down like the Corinthians were to physical idols and to temples, but make no mistake, idolatry is alive and well. You know, as Mike, you read a moment ago from Romans chapter 1. Now, we need to consider that passage here. And you can turn there if you want. Romans chapter 1. We need to consider that passage very honestly in our own context. 
like today, 2023. So how did Paul transition there in Romans chapter 1, verse 22? We have psychologized it and we have protected it. Idols are everywhere around us. And everywhere around us, and perhaps even in us, our hearts are burning after our idols. After more and more stuff, you give me my screen, and you don't take my eyes off of it for a second to set it upon the Word of God. Burning after entertainment, burning after our sports, burning after our comfort and politicians and more. Now hear me, in and of themselves, those things aren't idols. Like you heard, oh wait, so sports are wrong, comfort's wrong, politicians are wrong. No, I didn't say that. In and of themselves, they're not idols, but we have made them idols. And so do you see the danger this morning? This call is a call to consider what sort of idols might be in and flowing out of your heart? Because we are right in the thick of this. Everywhere around us. And that's all we've known for years and years and years. And so Paul is saying, flee. Don't let your heart be ruled by idols. But in every turn, saint, your heart is to be ruled by Christ. Everything. Everything, believer. And I mean that, Paul means that, everything. A faith that is in your bones. That's what he's talking about. And that's why these passages come as strange to us. It's because we want all those other things. More then we want Christ. Or could it be that? And so here then is where Paul zeroes in on the Corinthians in this issue of idolatry. And he gives this second point here, an exhortation to consider what's really behind their and ours and your worship consider what's really behind your worship. And so he asks, like he likes to do, and you know he does, he likes to ask those rhetorical questions, right? One after another, rhetorical questions are questions with obvious answers. And so he asks a number of them here. Now as we look at this, and his points here, we're going to be looking at them a bit differently than normal. So normally, what do we do? We kind of follow the train of his thoughts from top to bottom. Well, today we're going to do it from bottom to top, at least partially from bottom to top, in order to magnify the connections that Paul is making here to to help you to see them and to emphasize just what he is saying. So hovering over these verses are the truths from chapter 8. So let's review what was in chapter 8. Verses 4 through 5. An idol has no real existence 
There isn't really any God behind those idols anywhere ever. What's behind all things? There is only one triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 8, chapter chapter 8, verse 6. Now, as you see that from chapter 8, we need to remember the world that they lived in, getting in their world. So it was a world surrounded by physical idols, temples everywhere. That's what you would see. Food offered to idols, like in the marketplace, all that meat, it's probably going to have been devoted to an idol. You want meat? That's what you're going to be buying. And then believers were even at times taking part in some of these pagan feasts within these temples to these idols. And so what is Paul doing? He's addressing all of these things among the Corinthians. And so he tells them here in verses 19 through 21, remember, bottom to top, those feasts to idols are not innocent. They're fellowshipping with demons. Fellowshipping with demons. So drawing from chapter 8, he writes in verse 19, What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. I just hear that. Behind their feasts, two idols were demons. That's who they were honoring. Behind their idolatry, behind your idolatry, behind the gods of the world, are demons fooling people, deceiving people, and keeping them blind to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's going on right now. That is the sermon of our country. Now this point about demons, it harkens back to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 15, where Moses is there giving his song, the song of Moses. And what does he say there? Moses, he wrote in Deuteronomy 32, 15, The Jeshurun grew fat. That's Israel. Kind of these rich people that have been blessed by God. Grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. And then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5 there. Paul has that in mind here. The rock of Christ. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were not gods or no gods. The gods they had never known to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. And you forgot the God who gave you birth. Friends, idolatry in all of its forms does that. 
It points you away from God. And it presses on you saying, why do you need his word? Why do you need his people? You can do this Christianity thing all by yourself. Did God really say that? Why do you need his word, his people, and all of these things? Just go on, take part, eat, and forget all about God and his word and his people. And Paul is saying to you and to me, don't do that. Don't follow your idols. Don't take part in those feasts to the Corinthians because behind the feasts are demons, these fallen angels living and breathing in rebellion against their creator and aiming to destroy you and to destroy me. That idol that you love, that's what the demon wants you to worship so he can kill you and destroy you and destroy everything around you. And take your eyes off of Christ and off of the gospel and all that God has done. Now, in contrast to that, Paul makes this point in verse 15 through 18. So, bottom up, that in the Lord's Supper, you're fellowshipping with Christ. He appeals to them as sensible people, to take these things to heart. Now, he's not giving a lecture here on the Lord's Supper. This is not Lord's Supper 101. And so if you're thinking that here, don't think that. That's not what he's doing. He will talk about the Lord's Supper again here in chapter 11. Here, he's contrasting the pagan sacrificial feasts that they were partaking in with the Lord's table. When they partake in the supper, when you partake in the Lord's supper, they're doing something incredible. They are fellowshipping with Christ. They fellowship with Him in view of the lavish, incredible grace of God. Christ's blood was spilt and His body broken and they partake in that one bread as one body in him. And so the word that Paul uses here for participation, as in verse 16, so participation in the blood of Christ, participation in the body of Christ, it is a derivative of a word that you'll know. And it's the word koinonia. You know that word in the Greek? means fellowship. Now this isn't saying that the the wine and the bread actually became Christ's blood and became Christ's body. I mean, that was not in Paul's mind at all. I mean, that would be something the Catholic Church would say many years later, even later, like in the 1200s, 1215. So not in Paul's mind. What he's talking about is fellowship with God. And this is also why he brings up Israel here in the altar in verse 18. Who's behind the altar? 
Who is the object of their worship? It's God. In the same way as we partake of the Lord's Supper, what we are doing is we are mysteriously yet gloriously fellowshipping with Christ by the Spirit of Christ. And so Paul, he ends here with clear directions and a stark warning in verses 21 through 22. And here is what he wants you to see. See the righteous and right jealousy of the Lord. See the righteous and right jealousy of the Lord. And so Paul, he writes in verses 21 through 22, he says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Feasting and fellowshipping with demons is not for you. Corinthians, those pagan feasts are not for you. Believers, you here today, those idols, your heart is not to belong to them. You're not to partake in this table and yet at the same time worship demons through your idol with your screens or sports or politicians or you name it, your children, your clock, your time, your health, your retirement plan, your house, your savings. Anything that you love or trust in more than God is an idol. So we're not to do that. God is jealous for you because you belong to Christ and you are to be undividedly devoted to him that you would have a faith-in-your-bones sort of devotion to Christ. This isn't a need you, like God needs you and he can't make it without you kind of jealousy. Like Oprah like heard that God is jealous and she basically said, I'm not going to have anything to do with Christianity anymore. God gets jealous. Yes, he does. But this is not about like, oh, I need you and I can't make it without you kind of jealousy. It is a righteous, right, self-sufficient jealousy that does not magnify his need for us. But it magnifies our desperate need for him. He's jealous that we would have the best And that is not the world. It is not your idols. It is God and it is Christ alone. Moving away from God is moving away from life. And it's moving towards death. And so this, in these verses, verses 21 through 22, and really the whole thing here is a warning. You want your idols. Well, you can have them. And you will receive the fearful judgment of God as well. That's the warning. And they ought to fill it. You ought to fill it also. And so we are to ask ourselves, rightly, humbly, urgently, who are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? We need to hear Paul 
you need to hear Paul in God's inspired words this morning. God is better. As the hymn goes, he is the only one worthy of worship, worthy of praise, worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all the glad songs we can sing, worthy of all the offerings we bring. The only one. Our disjointed, confused selves. Do you feel that way this morning? Disjointed, confused, worried, fearful? They will not find their answer in empty idols, in the countless pursuits of the world, but in living and only in the living God. So who are you worshiping? Are we guilty of fleeing to idols and running from God? Are we worshiping him this morning? Are you worshiping him this morning? Is your heart set upon him now? Well, friends, God is jealous that you worship him this morning. There is nothing better than him. And so let us, together, as one body, glory in him. You know, we will be partaking in the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. The Lord's Supper. And so in light of that, glory in the fellowship that you have with Christ in the Lord's Supper. In a real way, we are fellowshipping with Christ by his spirit as we partake in the supper. And so what does that mean? It means it's time to lay down your idols. It's time to turn from your sin. And it's time to repent and to look to Christ, the all-satisfying one. You will not find mercy in your idol. Hear me again. You will not find mercy in your idol. You will not find mercy from demons, but you will only find mercy in Christ. And so let us take these words to heart and flee and run and run from idolatry to Christ and to worship him this morning. It's not the world who saves us. It's Christ. So hear him this morning. Hear that. Hear that he loves you and that he came and he died. He was buried. He rose again to save you, a idolater, Amen. a sinner. That all of us idolaters, that it wouldn't be idols that are in our bones, but Christ. And he would be our life. He would be our treasure. And he would be our all. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask, as we have heard these words, and I fear even in myself and even among us, that 
we would take these words lighter than they should be taken. We are here. And this exhortation is for us. And so help us, Lord, this morning. If we are here and we know Christ, we would flee to Christ for sanctification. If we're here and we don't know Christ, that we would flee to Christ for salvation. And so help us to respond to your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.